Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. by bensound.com welcome everyone to today's earth energy forecast show on this tuesday april 28th 2020 thank you for listening today or if you're listening later to the podcast i am your host joan serio i trust you're doing well in these very challenging times i wanted to take a moment before we start the show today to thank all of the essential workers across the globe all of you that uh, made it possible for all of us that had to stay in so that we would have food, so that we would be safe, so that we would be healthy, so that we could use public transportation, so that there would be food to put into the uh, grocery stores. All of you across the globe, a heartfelt thank you. And just a reminder that we should all check on one another and make sure we're doing well, uh, not only physically, but mentally. Like I said, these are challenging times, and we want to make sure that our neighbors have what they need. That could be just a simple phone call. So today, we're going to find out a little bit more of maybe what we could do as a group, small groups, to help during this time of this pandemic. Today, we're going to talk to Lynn Mataggart. Lynn is an award-winning author of The Power of Eight, and she's going to share with us how we can use that during this time. Lynn Mataggart is one of the central voices in the new consciousness movement. She's the award-winning author of seven books, including worldwide bestsellers, The Field, The Intention Experiment, the Bond, and her latest book, The Power of Eight. She is the architect of the Intention Experiment, a worldwide global laboratory testing the power of thought to change the world. She serves as editorial director of What Doctors Don't Tell You. You can find that at WDDTY.com, one of the world's most highly praised health publications. For more information about Lynn, you can visit her website at lynnmataggart.com to watch the COVID-19 information that she and others have prepared. 
you can go to getwell.solutions. Okay. So welcome to the show, Lynn McTaggart. I am so honored and pleased to have you here today. Great. And I that you are well. I am well. I'm staying very well. Thank you very much. Oh, wonderful. And I know you've been doing a lot of work for the COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic that we've had. But let's start at the beginning a little bit, please. So I know you're an investigative reporter, and I'm just wondering how an investigative reporter got interested in and started to work with physicists and researchers such as Fritz Pop and Stuart Hameroff and Hal Putoff. How did how did you start working with them and and really get into this field of consciousness and new consciousness? Okay, well, it really sort of ha- happened in a way by accident, um, Joan, because um, I was and still am uh, one of the co-founders and editors of a magazine called What Doctors Don't Tell You, and. In the course of researching what works and what doesn't work in conventional and alternative medicine, which is what we do, um, magazine is investigative. And um, But in the course of doing that, I kept finding medical studies, good medical studies, showing that things like spiritual healing work. And I kept wondering to myself, well, if that's true, if you can take a thought and send it to someone else, then that in itself undermines completely how we think the world works. So I wanted to find out exactly how this this worked. I wondered if there was such a thing as human energy fields or what it was that enabled people to do this. Um, So I thought I would speak to some frontier physicists who had been doing work in consciousness research, and they would give me the answer, and it would be very simple, and I'd be able to write it up, and that would be it. But what I realized (laughs) after speaking to them was that was not it. Each of them had discovered a tiny patch of what I soon recognized was a completely new view of the world, a new science. But scientists are also um, very cautious. They don't like to expound beyond their experimental evidence, um, and they don't like to synthesize things. They like to just keep to their experimental patch. And also, they speak in math. They speak in code. So I realized that my job was going to be twofold. Number one, I was going to have to decode what they were talking about, and two, and put it into plain English, and two... I was going to have to knit all of these separate discoveries together into one unified new theory. And so that became my book, The Field. Mm-hmm. But after writing it, I realized there was a lot of unfinished business. A number of the scientists had done research suggesting that thoughts are an actual physical something with the capacity to change physical matter. And so being the investigative reporter and slightly skeptical of all of the popular notions of manifestation and all of that stuff that were appearing around the early 2000s, I said to myself, okay, how far can we take this? You know, if thoughts are actually things that affect other things, are we talking about just kind of subtle effects, like affecting a quantum particle, or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? And also, how, what happens when we magnify this 
with lots of people, does this also magnify the effect? So I not only wrote a book called The Intention Experiment to investigate the evidence on the power of intention, but I also wanted to test it out in the field. And I figured at the time, you know, I had a lot of readers from the field. It was in 30 languages by then. And also had, uh, uh, I knew a lot of scientists, so I thought if I put them together, um, we could create the greatest uh, and largest global laboratory in the world. And so that's really what we did. Um, we started out in 2007 um, setting up well-controlled experiments in particular labs or using a team of scientists if it was something out in the field, and then inviting my readers from around the globe or an actual audience if I were speaking somewhere to take part in sending an intention somewhere. And we didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it was going to work. But it really worked, and it is really worked. And now we've run 33 experiments to date, and of the 33, 29 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. So there's no drug out there with that kind of consistent mm -hmm. track yeah. yeah, that is really good statistics. Yeah, so how did these intention experiments then lead to your latest book, The Power of Eight? Well, you know, we started doing these things with thousands and thousands of people. And I wondered one day, well, what would happen if we just scaled this down? What would happen if we just had it in a workshop? But I wasn't really sure how to do that or even how to run a workshop. Um, and so I was kicking it around with my husband one day. And I thought, I said, well, what if we put people into groups of eight or so and had them send healing intention to a member of the group with a health challenge? And my husband, Brian, who's a great headline writer, said, yeah, I love it, the power of eight. And so that is exactly what we did. We, uh, and that's how it started. It was completely arbitrary. Um, we put people into groups of eight or so. We had them send a healing intention to someone with a health challenge. That was Chicago, our first workshop. And then we invited them back the next day to say what had happened. And we expected it to be a very minor feel-good effect. You know, I felt relaxed or whatever. And that is not what happened. The lineup of people who were receivers got on the stage and one by one said things like this. You know, I have terrible arthritis in my knee and I'm walking normally today. I have depression and it seems really lifted today. I have IBS and my stomach is normal today. I have cataracts and that eye in one eye and that eye is 80% better. And, you know, on and on and on it went like this. And, of course, the skeptic in me, the investigative journalist in me said, oh, it's a placebo effect, until I kept running it again and again and I realized that not just the senders, mm -hmm. not just the receivers were getting healed, but also the senders too. And so... After a while, I recognized that something really unusual was going on here, and I had to investigate it. And that really led to studying it from every angle for about 10 years, because I was terrified of it. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't consider myself somebody who was in that kind of area of healing. That was not my bailiwick. And I wondered what this strange thing had been that we discovered and why. Quite interesting what the universe will ask us to do, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you bet. I've been drafted, absolutely, or gifted, however you want to call it. 
uh, yeah, it, there there is no straight line <laughs> to what you there do. There is no straight line. Straight line. Absolutely no. not. No. So, uh, why do you think um, the receipt the the givers are benefiting as much as the receivers? Well, I started recognizing this, Joan, first with the intention experiments. Um, in 2008, I was really tired with, we started out with baby steps, doing things like sending intention to seeds and trying to purify water. And we were getting great results, amazing results. I mean, even with the seed experiment, we ran it six times where we had one target set of seeds and three controls. Scientists would never know which seeds were, we chose. We would choose them or have a member of the audience choose them. And uh, then the scientists, after we did the intention, we'd tell them we were done. They would plant all four sets of seeds and then measure them five days later. And in all the time, we, re- we ran it in different workshops and conferences around the world, in Sydney, Australia, in New- Rhinebeck, New York, in South Carolina, Dallas, Texas, California, and also over the Internet. And every single time, no matter what size of group, or even with thousands of people over the internet, the seed sent intention always grew significantly higher than control. So we had those kinds of experiments and purifying water, seeing if we could move it by higher, turn it into a water that had a higher pH. And we were successful with that too. We could move it by a whole pH. But by 2008, I was getting tired of seeds and leaves and water, and I wanted to do <laughs> yeah, something yeah. big. Big. So um, yeah. I said to the scientists, let's do something huge. Let's try to lower violence in a war-torn area. So we did that, and we've run seven of them, by the way. All seven have shown, whether it's been in a violent area, like the most violent part of St. Louis, Missouri, or a war-torn area like Sri Lanka during the Civil War, or Afghanistan, um, in 2011, um, it was always the the place sent intention always has some sort of lowering of violence. But the real that isn't even the interesting part of the story. In answer to your question, what I started to notice after starting to survey participants in the first peace intention experiments, I wanted to see how it was for them. Um, I got back thousands of responses because that first peace intention experiment, I think we had about 15,000 people participating. And we got back thousands of surveys from people saying things like this. I felt like I was part of a higher network. I was sobbing uncontrollably. I had bizarrely energy up and down my arms. You know, all kinds of huge physical effects, but also things like my life has become more peaceful. I've made up with my my estranged brother, um, my partner and I are getting along so much better, my boss and I are getting so much better. I'm in love with everyone I come in contact with. Almost half of the people said that. And wow. I was blown away by that. And I started realizing there's some sort of mirror effect here. And we found differences. So when we did mass intentions to heal someone, which we did to heal somebody of PTSD, People reported a huge number of personal healings. You know, people with arthritis said it was healed. People with this and that um, were, you know, feeling better. Their skin condition cleared up. Their depression lifted. All kinds of stuff like that happened. So I realized there's some sort of mirror effect going on. 
And the same thing happens in the small groups, the power of eight groups. We see that the senders, it doesn't matter in a way whether you're a sender or a receiver. Um, we've, I think um, we've had situations where people were really stuck because they were getting intention in their groups. I run a year-long master class, and I started this in 2015 because I wanted to study my group. <laughs> um, I wanted to see what was going on with these power bait groups. So I figured, okay, I'll set up a, a year-long workshop and I'll monitor what's going on with them, which I did. And by the way, of the 250 people who signed up, 150 continued to meet regularly. And of those 150, pretty much 100% had major life transformations in some way. So, And that seems to be the case that the majority who end up meeting regularly over a period of time end up having extraordinary effects, whether it's in their health mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. relationships, <clears throat> career, finances, even their what they're going to do with the rest of their life. So I was studying that, and I started seeing this pattern, too. People were often stuck when they were having intentions for themselves, but when they got off of themselves, they started having extraordinary effects. For instance, a, a woman called Andy, who was <clears throat> part of that 2015 group, she was getting a divorce, two young children, uh, very talented, um, uh, good car, uh, coach, a good coach and good in marketing, but couldn't find a job anywhere. And they were doing all kinds of intention for her group. So finally, <clears throat> I just said to her, Andy, get off of yourself. Just start intending for someone else. And she started with the group in doing a special intention for this kid called Luke, who was 15 years old and had broken up with his first serious girlfriend. So in a peak of um, adolescent angst, he threw himself off of a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. Mm -hmm. And he nearly died. He broke everything in his body, nerve damage, brain damage. And <clears throat> We started up a healing vigil for him weekly while his parents kept a running commentary of just what happened to him at the times of uh -huh. intention. Uh -huh. So it was a really interesting experience for me to see exactly what was going on. So the upshot is Luke got out of the hospital in record time. That could have been good doctoring, but maybe it was our intention. He certainly seemed to respond just at the times we were sending intention. But... The really interesting thing is what happened to Andy, because the moment she got off of herself, she got a call out of nowhere from somebody offering her her dream job. And that happened over and over and over again. People who were stuck, a woman called Lisa, who was trying to write a book, she was a bodywork practitioner who had developed a, a system for healing trauma through bodywork. And she wanted to relay this to the world, but she'd never written a book before. She was trying to work with a batch of editors. She was not getting anywhere. She was on her third editor by the time she started the, my master class. And she was just getting making no headway. So I finally said, Lisa, get off of yourself. And so she started intending for someone in the group who had more troubles than her. She had many more financial problems, et cetera. And that very week, the next week, Lisa gets this uncontrollable urge to go into a shop she doesn't even need anything from. And when she goes in, she happens to meet 
a woman who um, who happened to be a, uh, a former publisher and was now a book coach. And when she said hi, Lisa vaguely knew uh-huh. her but didn't know things about her. When she started talking to her and said what she was up to, the woman said, oh, I can coach you through the whole process. And upshot is she did, book got published, and it became an Amazon bestseller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... In some way, then, these intentions could tap into the power of synchronicity? Uh, they Bring could. I haven't, really rec- I haven't really studied synchronicity, Joan, you know, in any formal way. So I, I being the conservative journalist I am, talk mm-hmm. about what I know. But uh-huh. it is uh-huh. something interesting is going on, that's for sure. So... From all of your research on new consciousness and with all the physicists and researchers, do you know how this intention really works? Um, I think that if you're talking about how do power of eight groups work, first of all, intention itself, we have to recognize that we're all leaky buckets. You know, we are, we are, we are brought up with the idea that thoughts are locked inside our heads and that brain equals consciousness. But new evidence demonstrates, a new science that I wrote about in the field, demonstrates that our brain, rather than being like a storehouse of information, is more of an antenna receiver. It receives information from out there, and it relays information out. And that possibly a mechanism is what the late Fritz Albert Pop discovered, which were that we're all sending out a tiny current of light emissions. Mm-hmm. And we see drastic changes in these light emissions when people send intention. So it either is the vehicle, mediates it, or it is certainly affected by this. And what Pop discovered is that it's a communication mechanism, this light, that other living things send light back synchronicitously when, to our light. So we're always having light conversations with everything out there. What we do know definitely is that thoughts are not locked inside our heads. I mean, I've been able to demonstrate that over and over and over again, that we create some sort of psychic intranet, and that thoughts Mm -hmm. are felt by uh, people and things around us. And so we're beaming that out. So intention is one aspect of it. But I also think, of and group effects, a big uh, part of power of eight magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, th- there's this quite kind of collective effervescence as the famous psychologist, Emile Durkheim, French psychologist, put it, a collective effervescence in a group that just raises the vibration, raises the energy. Mm-hmm. But I think that one of the big factors here is altruism. When you're in a group, You're not just receiving. It's not individual intention for you. You are also many times sending out for other people and that sense of selflessness. And oftentimes you're working with a group of strangers. You know, with our master classes, we put people in with a group of strangers. Now, those people ultimately become their intention family. You know, oftentimes they're closer to those folks than they are with their, you know, many of their people at home. They become a very, very close cohesive group, Uh, but you're suddenly having to get off of yourself, and the getting off of yourself, if you look at the science of altruism, 
I mean, it is, altruism is a bulletproof vest. It, people who are altruistic are, and, and even do little things for other people, like volunteering, you know, are two-thirds less likely to die, um, are healthier, they're happier, they're better off in every regard. So it is a powerful protector. You know, we were, I've done much work on this in my book, The Bond, about our need to connect, our need to belong. We have such a huge need that one of the issues right now, of course, is the need that we're all socially isolated. One of the things I've been really promoting is people setting up virtual power of eight groups because it truly is a way to connect now that we can't physically connect. Yes, I was going to ask you how we can apply the power of eight to this time right now and how well, we can use it. Well, one of the things that I'm doing is I just set up a Facebook group that everybody can join. It's called Connecting and Healing Through the Power of Eight. If you just go onto Facebook and just write that in, you'll come onto that group. Um, that group everybody can join. And basically it's just a portal for people to advertise other people in their area to join with them and join and create a group. So, and by area, I mean just their time zone. So we have people around the world setting up, you know, intention groups, New Zealand and, and Australia and, you know, places in America and everywhere in between. So people can do that. And I think it's, and basically once you connect with people on Facebook through this group, you can just set it up and work through Skype or Zoom or House Party or any social media or any um, digital platform you want to work with. Yes, and that certainly can help with the feeling of isolation right now. But at the same time, we're noticing that um, even though we are physically apart, a lot of us are feeling more connected than we ever have. Why do you think that is? Oh, this is a whole other interesting um a bit of thinking that I've been um, considering too. Well, because we've had to stop and pause and stop living the lives we were going to live. You know, I was fascinated when I was writing my book, The Bond. You know, it was, uh, I was writing it right after the financial crash. And all I heard was, you know, the sense we had that something was ending. Um, you know, we heard stockbrokers saying, you know, the world as we know it is going down, and this is the end of capitalism as we know it, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. End of oil, the end of food because it's the end of oil. And, of course, by 2012, people were saying, yeah, this is the beginning of the end of the world. But it wasn't. You know, we recovered financially, and then everybody went back to sleep. The same, yeah. Yeah. You know, the same kind of financial model prevailed where it was the same – model in the world prevailed of I win, you lose. And we kept on the same trajectory, um, creating more and more chaos. If you look at all of the things going on with climate change, and while we talk about the fatalities with COVID-19, they pale into insignificance when you think of the fatalities we've suffered with floods, fires, migration, Mass, mass migration from the uh, countries that are, you know, have oppressive regimes or poverty or whatever. And 
that was all only going to get worse. And suddenly we stopped. And it's very interesting. It's clear to us that there's a, you know, our old way of life is probably over. Mm -hmm. Uh, It won't go back to exactly the same. But that's probably a good thing. Uh, My friend and colleague, Irvin Laszlo, Mm -hmm. the, the founder of the Club of Budapest and the Futurist, has written about pandemic as opportunity. And in it, he talked about the idea that we're at a bifurcation. You know, we are at a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. And we can go mm-hmm. one of two ways. We can either carry on in the trajectory we've carried on into increasingly devastating effect, uh, where there is more and more inequality, there's more and more effects on the climate, where our economic way of life is you know, is crushing us, essentially. Or we can look at a new way of being. And I'm very optimistic, to be honest, that we can now build over essentially scorched ground. You know, we can do it a little better. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we are coming closer together. There are a million acts of generosity and kindness that people yes. are carrying out. I mean, my favorite, my favorite, I live here in the U.K., is a major, a now 100-year-old major called Tom, who wanted to help the National Health Service, which is pretty stretched at the moment, with not enough money for protective gear, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he says, well, maybe I can raise a 1,000 pounds, you know, British pounds. So he, he's walking with a walker. He was 99 years old when he did this just a few weeks ago. And he says, well, maybe I can walk the length of my backyard and back. You know, I'll walk the length of my backyard a hundred times and maybe people will raise money. So he puts it on something like GoFundMe and he does this. (laughs) He has raised 28 million pounds for the National Service. And he was so inspiring. This little old guy in his, with his badges, walking up and down by when a few soldiers are there saluting. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who was in the Second World War, RAF, Royal Air Force pilot. Yeah. And this hero walks up and down a hundred mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. in his walker. Mm-hmm. And people were so inspired that he, plus one a well-known singer over here, uh, Michael Bull, did a song together called You'll Never Walk Alone, <sighs> including the National oh Health Service gosh. Choir. And everybody is in tears over this. <laughs> yeah. But this is what can be done, this kind yes. of camaraderie. What we're finding here in the UK is we were so polarized after Brexit and that whole brouhaha. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's come together and said, no, we're all going to work together during this crisis. Yeah. And all of the isolating, the lockdown, everybody's been extraordinarily good. And now it's going to be a case of really rebuilding this this very fractured economy, but maybe in a new and fairer way. Yes. I always say there's a gift in everything. And um, we are certainly getting many gifts from this pandemic. uh, And this is one of them. So I love the idea of a new model. And uh, I'm envisioning the whole world using your power of eight or power of eight million or however many of sending this intention that we do have a new model, a better world, 
something mm-hmm. that will have enough for everyone and no one goes I, without. Absolutely. I mean, we've been doing, I've been doing for uh, six weeks, I've been ha- holding live Facebook intention experiments, you know, on my live fa- on my Facebook page. And we've been doing different ones. You know, we started out doing ones to to flatten the curve for the COVID-19. Uh, we did one for our prime minister, Boris Johnson, when it looked like oh, it could yeah. go either way. Yeah. Um, we, we did them for ending fear. And the most recent one I did was for everybody to uncover, each of us to uncover the way we can best contribute together to rebuilding our world into something better, fairer, healthier, more prosperous for all, and finally more sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really interesting for people, you know, I've been asking people, okay, so what's your contribution going to be? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I think that's really the question now. And what is this going to look like? I envisage it's probably going to be a modern-day New Deal where we start rebuilding things together. Yes. And that is a way of employing people, and it's working for a common good, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And globally, too. And globally, absolutely. This pandemic has taught us there are no borders. Mm-hmm. And we are all well. I hope we so. are all I mean, connected. So in ways yeah, we, we are absolutely, and yeah. hopefully the governments will learn that because I mean I've been kind of horrified at the European Union because they have been very slow to help the southern countries who were really clobbered by the by the virus, and I think that's going to be a more of a learning curve too. Is mm-hmm. you know we have to look to everybody. It's not a case of people being irresponsible. It's just people getting hit by a pandemic. Right, right. Yeah, just, just, just. Well, you know, it takes whatever it takes to wake us up, I guess. And, it, uh, absolutely. That's so true. And this is definitely a big wake-up call. It sure is. It sure is. And... And going through your information, you have a doctor friend that I love his definition of illness, that he says illness is a failure of an organism to adapt to its environment. And we've been talking about this adaptation. What we've just said is really about adaptation. So what is the coronavirus telling us about our state of health and how it has been? Well, this is such an interesting point, Joan. Um, You know, one of the things that we wanted to do was to give people information about how to protect themselves because you know the other hat I wear as editor of this magazine what doctors don't tell you and also uh, co-founder of an organization called get well where we we just held our first exhibition in London we're going to do the same in America and Los Angeles next year um, bringing together a lot of alternative practitioners from uh, all varieties of all kinds of disciplines so that it's a one-stop place for people who want to get well with any kind of chronic illness to meet them, you know, whether it's serious or minor. And uh, one of the things, so it, it puts me in contact with lots and lots of very, very good practitioners. And one of the, well, a, a few of the practitioners that we decided to talk to, uh, what we wanted to do was to relay this to the public. So we set up a, 
a four-part free webinar uh, called Supercharging Yourself Against Coronavirus. And um, we recorded it. We had downloads for it, and it's still it's free for everybody. You know, we, we don't ask for anything. There's no upsell. This is just free and what people need. And one of the things that we learned in interviewing several very top what they call orthomolecular doctors, who are doctors who specialize in high-dose vitamins, is that, you know, this is not a random killer. That's what we've been led to believe, that anybody can get it and die from it. That's not true. It has to do with a number of things, the state of your immune system. So getting back to your question, one of the big factors is pollution. The area of northern Italy that really got hit by the uh, coronavirus is mm -hmm. one of the most polluted areas in all of Europe. And a lot of the populations are not only elderly, but smoke. Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. so there's that issue. But it's also um, the state of certain nutrients. And the other thing that can really cause it and make it a lot worse is stress. You know, stress really robs the body of a lot of nutrients. Yeah. But here's the thing. It now is forcing us to look at our diets. One statistic I'm really wanting that nobody is uncovering is, are the, is the incidence a lot worse in those countries where the diet is a lot worse? I would say yes, because the highest incidence, you know, some of the highest incidences in the U.S. and U.K., and both of us have a very high processed diet. Yes, and yes. It's lower in the Scandinavian countries where it's a, a healthier lifestyle. So there's certainly a lot of things that people can do. And in, in our webinar, um, the doctors talked about a little recipe of nutrients that can really protect you. One of the things that has a lot of evidence that people are not acknowledging is the power and the importance of high doses of vitamin C. Yes, yes. Vitamin C has been shown in numerous studies, and it was trialed in China during COVID-19 to great effect. Is High-dose vitamin C is a good preventative, and high-dose intravenous vitamin C is a highly effective virus killer. Um, and in fact, it was used, in, in as I say, in Shanghai, studied among 50 critically ill patients, every single one survived. So the, the recipe that we talk about has to do with um, vitamin C, um, selenium, magnesium, zinc, uh, also vitamin A, but, um, and vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. really the five, C, uh, C vitamin D, selenium, zinc, magnesium. Those are your big protective ones. So what this really says, getting back to your question, is we're just not getting the kind of nutrients we need. And those people who you notice a lot of people who get a worse turn with the virus are obese. And so yes. it has a yes. lot to do with lifestyle. Um, the people who get hit really badly with or die from COVID-19. So there's plenty of things you can do. And we also in this webinar um, looked at foods that can protect your immune system. 
You know, particular foods raise the immune system. Particular movements. We did another one on simple movements that you do that actually boost your immune system. Mm-hmm. And finally, ways to stay calm and centered. Certain tapping techniques. We had on Nick Ortner, the Mr. Tapper. And we had, and then I talked about the power of eight and how that ends fear and isolation. Um, so I think there's plenty of things people can do. It's just what we're learning is our way of life needs to change. Totally needs to change. In the food we eat, in the way we deal with ourselves in business, conduct ourselves in business, in, you know, in our exercise, in our supplement programs, in our stress-reducing mechanisms, everything we do, and of course our effect on the planet and each other. We have to move fundamentally from I win, you lose, to I win and everything wins. Yes, yes. And where can people find this information again? These free webinars, and they're free to everybody. As I say, there's no, the most we say is, look, if you like these and you're so disposed, contribute to some charities that are being helpful during the crisis. But um, they can find it on our website, um, getwell.solutions. There's a banner there that says, and you can just get uh, the recordings free, the downloads free, it's all free. Okay, I'll make sure I add that to the show page that people will have that to click on and and get that. That's important information that we all need right now. Yes, and here in the U.S., they're not really talking about boosting the immune system or how things to do to prevent this. They're just now seeing that, oh, the high-risk populations are those that, yes, live in uh, cities that are in areas where there are there is a lot of pollution, mm-hmm. uh, and they are the population that probably aren't making as much money, and so they're eating more processed foods or fast foods. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it goes on and on. And because of that, there's a higher rate of diabetes and other pre-existing conditions that puts you at more risk of, of getting the disease. So, yes, it's really a huge wake-up call. And and I hope that we really do learn from this because I, there there are a lot of lessons from this. Absolutely. So, and you know what the problem is too, aside from vitamin C, et cetera, a very simple virus killer for the outside of your body is iodine, a thing called Lugol's iodine. We have this in our program too. A couple of drops of this in some coconut oil, and if you've been exposed in any way, it kills it dead. And iodine, again, is a very well-studied bug killer, and that's why it's used in operation. You know, whenever somebody has surgery, they put iodine on the skin before they Mm -hmm. cut. but so we've talked, one of our doctors talked about that. And the other thing that I investigated is ionizers. They should be in every hospital um, ICU. And it's shocking they aren't. There's a lot of evidence showing that they mm-hmm. kill, also kill. Negative ions popped out by ionizers kill every kind of bug. Yes, uh, it's interesting that we just keep going back to the old ways, the old ways, and want to have more drugs and more drugs. And I think part of that is driven by money <laughs> and Absolutely. big pharma Absolutely. and all of that. And, oh, I can make money off of this out of people's misfortune. And mm-hmm. it's 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 your misfortune, too. Maybe, maybe this is showing us that, you know, 
what you do to another comes back to you because um, absolutely. And you know what's happening that's so interesting now, Joan, is something that hadn't happened in 2008, which is the the people who have excessive salaries, you know, the heads of banks, etc., are suddenly being shamed into saying, well, you know what, I'm cutting my salary in half. Rather than closing X businesses, I'm going to give half my salary back. Um, yeah. And now people are turning on some of the celebrities. I know recently there was one celebrity who furloughed her staff who's a multi-multi-millionaire, furloughed her staff, which means the British government has to pay for it. And people are all saying, are you kidding? You are a mega superstar. You've got millions and millions. How? Yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. wrong to take this yeah. off of the taxpayers. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I yeah, think yeah. there's a kind of an, an interesting thing going on where the very real, real disparity, and I'm not talking about socialism, but I'm just talking about the kind of uh, huge disparity, the unfair disparity between mm-hmm. people is now being questioned. Yes, and and, and rightly so. And I've all I've had this thought that if the ultra-rich just took part of what they have and mm-hmm. just put it into the coffers, you know, at least here in the U.S., uh, we could just feed everybody, uh, everybody would have money and, you know, we can get things going and it would be fine and no one would go without, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've always wanted to have a thing called celebrity aid where instead of the celebrities playing for free, they dip into their own pockets and they put the money up. So instead of us paying for stuff, and you know, like a live aid, they should be pay, putting their money up, and then mm-hmm. the money they would raise yes. would be. I always wondered that too, and I always did. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, you're <laughs> you're raising all this money, but you're the ones that have all the money, and it's always the people that have very little that give the most. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. So, do we need to reconnect with uh, the earth? with each other, with our food, with our work environments? How, and how do we do this? How do we build this other uh, relationship now? How do we reconnect with things? Well, I think we have to learn. I wrote about a lot of that in The Bond, um, about looking at, a not, uh, there's a thing called a superordinate goal, which I think is one of my favorite things. It's the idea of a goal that can only be achieved by the collective efforts of everyone involved. And it's been used in huge ways. Everywhere from, you know, South Africa used it to try to unite the country, the blacks and the whites in the, in the country through uh, sport, through a collective desire for their rugby team to win. And it had a huge effect. Um, they've used it uh, to try to overcome prejudice. Um, in many, many different ways, little communities have used it to bring the community together. You know, there was a community called Tailhold, I think, in, um, in, in one of the western states where they didn't have enough money to build a clean water pipeline. So the citizens decided to all come together and do it. And the men did the digging and the women brought the food. And it was an amazing community builder. And they also mm-hmm. used that to build a community center. And suddenly they have this cohesive, interconnected community. 
So it's a really powerful way to bring people together. And so I think what we have to do is create some superordinate goals where we're all working toward green energy, a different way of doing this, a slightly different financial model that isn't so excessive and greedy, you know, where we are working together. So I think that is one of the big ways. And then, as you said, collective, big collective intentions coming together. I mean, one of the things that I've been doing every week on live Facebook is on my Facebook page on live is every Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern, 5 p.m. UK time. I do an intention and people from all over the world come on and we talk about the new world we're going to create. And we do an intention toward it. Initially, we did one on COVID-19 and, you know, but now we're starting to focus on, oh, you know, a a new world. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And are you finding that most people want the same things? Well, the people who follow me do. I mean, but I think also this has been, this pandemic's been such a leveler, Joan, that... Everybody has to say, oh, well, it's I'm fascinated by people saying really what they just want is connection with other people, actually physically being connected with other people. They're starting to say things like, well, gosh, I don't need that new dress or I don't need that new thing. It's meaningless to me now. What I need is other people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I need some social gatherings. And that's what people miss. They don't miss so much of the other stuff. No, we're realizing what really is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing I've seen is the power of gratitude. That, you know, people finally are grateful to everyone. And so, you know, when uh, the rubbish truck comes by I'm waving and saying thank you thank you (laughs) you know Uh, when I go to the store all the time I say thank you for working you know thank you for being here because they're putting their lives on the line we've had a number of people in the stores that have contracted the virus or even in uh, animal processing plants there there have been high numbers of positive people so uh, no matter what you know to be grateful and so I start my day with a gratitude prayer every day, you know, for myself and Absolutely. for everyone else. And I think I know, that I is love so that. powerful. I think that's really true. And you get grateful for little things. I mean, I'm so grateful because in the UK where it rained solidly from October to the beginning of March, the middle of March, it's suddenly beautiful, sunny and warm, unseasonably warm in April and for us, just that ability to just go outside maybe once a day and just enjoy the sun is just, I just think, oh, this is heaven. And I live near a a common, a giant common, which is really like a forest. Um, and being able to walk through there and just have the, the green trees and the beautiful sun is just such a gift. Yes, yes, I understand. Uh, there's a trail near where I live that I go, and it's it's on the Erie Canal, actually. And I just one day I was just skipping along the trail. I was just so happy to be out and to see. Oh, there was little uh, wild violets, and to see the the geese, and to mm-hmm. listen to the birds, and to see what's coming up, and to say hello to everything. And 
it was just it was just beautiful and and to be in the moment and to take it all in and to have mm-hmm. this time to slow down what a gift yeah you bet you bet and i hope everyone does you know take this opportunity to really reflect on their lives to slow down and to appreciate everything that we have absolutely and i'm so appreciative that you followed <laughs> your heart and you did what you were called to do because I'm imagining that took a lot of courage in the beginning to do that. I guess it, I guess it did Joan, but I'm, you know, it was like pulling a piece of string. You, I have always been somebody in my life who's kind of followed my enthusiasms and my curiosity and it started with curiosity. And then after writing the field that really changed the messenger and I couldn't go back to the thinking I had before. I was so astonished by what I had discovered and what these scientists were telling me and what this all, the ramifications of what this all meant to the way we live. I had to keep pursuing it. I just had to, you know, the genie was out of the bottle. Mm -hmm. And now with the power of eight, well, I think I've been drafted. You know, I always (laughs) say I'm the gatekeeper. But this power belongs to everybody. I I have to guard it and make sure that it is not used for ill and it's used wisely by people and to teach people and to help people do that. But, you know, the gift belongs to everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, just holding that energy is a big job. And I'm glad that you realize that (laughs) it's needed and that you're doing that. And uh, it's just wonderful what your work has done. Is there anything else that you want to share with us today, Lynn? No, just I hope everybody stays really positive and understands the opportunity we now have. You know, we listen all the time to the negative information. I just want to share once again that this is not a random killer. There are many, many things we can do. Um, People should shed their fear. You can protect yourself and your loved ones. There are simple tools. As I say, in our webinar, Supercharge Yourself Against Coronavirus, we give people loads of tools that will really effectively prevent it or uh, stop it from um, causing great harm if you get the coronavirus. Um, There are many things you can do at the first sign of it. Um, And so I want to help eliminate people's fear and also recognize that Yeah, we're going through this gigantic shift, but um, this is going to lead to something better. And so we can't squander this. This is our time. This is our chance to do this right. Yes, I totally agree. Thank you so much for coming on today, Lynn. I so appreciate it. And keep up the great work that you've been doing. Thank you so much, Joan. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. So I hope today's show inspires you to do something for another, to watch your thoughts because they do matter, to think positive thoughts, and to think thoughts of what is it that you want the world to look like? How do you want it to look like? What new world do you choose to step into? And really start thinking those thoughts and putting it out there And be kind to one another. So next week, we have our resident astrologer, Jude Valentine, coming on to talk about the astrology of May 
And I'll give you a little hint. There's a lot of planets going retrograde and one Venus retrograde that she's going to talk about. So tune in again next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Earth Energy Forecast. Take care, everyone, and be well. Much love. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 